Galatians chapter 2, the passage before us, beginning at verse 11. I'd like to start there and read, and we'll continue through to the end of the chapter. Galatians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew him and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live." Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Now, that is quite a passage, and the way it ends there is so dramatic. Um, Christ is dead in vain. I mean, you, you think about where Paul is headed with what he's saying there. And I, you know, as I, as I read that passage, it keeps building and building, and there's this great climax in verse 20. And what a wonderful verse that is. That is such a powerful verse. And I can't wait to get there. We're not there yet. Uh, but most of you probably have that verse memorized. But again, here is <clears throat> this conflict that's mentioned in Scripture, this, where Paul is calling out Peter. And he confronts him publicly in front of all these people because he is playing the hypocrite. And you remember the situation there. These Jews had come up to Antioch. Peter had been ministering there in that church. The church at Antioch was mainly a Gentile church, but there were Jews there who had also received the gospel. They were fellowshipping together, really living in harmony in the gospel. And of course, as we know, as it tells us in Scripture, in the very next chapter, Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. In this, this great unity, you know the history of the Jews, as you read through the Gospels, uh, the Jews considered the Gentiles to be, really, to be dogs. They were 
unholy, unclean. Um, they had their laws, their laws of purification. You were not even to go into their home. If you were a Jew, you were not allowed to go into their homes, um, especially you could not eat with them. Uh, you might eat something that was unclean or had not been prepared in a kosher fashion, and you would find yourself in violation of the law. And so there was definitely a division between Jews and Gentiles. But in Christ, that distinction is gone. And of course, Peter knew that. He had experienced that in his ministry with Cornelius. There, as Peter was taking the gospel to a Gentile, and Cornelius and his household, they received the gospel gladly, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit just as were the apostles. And Peter perceived there, and he says that in his testimony when he went back to Jerusalem, he perceived that, hey, God is no respecter of persons. He is saving Gentiles just as he saved us. He speaks of the Jewish believers. And what a revelation. And, um, of course, Paul reiterates this so clearly in 328. These distinctions these are done away in Christ. Our common bond is the blood of Jesus Christ, which takes away our sins. He has brought us back into fellowship with God, and we are one in Him. It is one body. And so there's not a distinction between nationality or races. There's not a distinction between social status, whether you're a slave or whether you are a ruler, or even the difference between male and female. There is no difference when it comes to our salvation and our fellowship in Christ. These distinctions really are done away. But here in Antioch, Peter was there who was fellowshipping as he should have been, and he knew the truth, eating with Gentiles. But there was a coalition that came from Jerusalem. And when they came, it says that Peter uh, withdrew himself. Oh, I don't want to be associated with the Gentiles because these Jews are coming up and I better, you know, I know what they're saying. I better follow, follow the Jewish law and uh, avoid the Gentiles. And so Peter started doing this. And he was associating only with the Jews and staying away from, he's separating himself from the Gentiles. And of course, we see his motivation. His motivation was fear. He was afraid of the Jews. Now, he wasn't afraid that they were going to, you know, slit his throat, but he was afraid of his reputation maybe being sullied or what they might do to his ministry back in Jerusalem. Or if the word got back, he knew how the Jews felt about this, and he didn't want that getting back to Jerusalem. You know, he said he, you know, he wanted it to be what happens in Antioch stays in Antioch. But he knew if these Jews were coming there that they would report back to Jerusalem, and he, you know, people would know that he was fellowshipping with Gentiles, and so he separated fearing them of the circumcision. And of course, his position as one of the chief apostles, it says here in verse 13, it says, And other Jews dissembled likewise with him. Now, these aren't talking about the Jews that came from Jerusalem. These are talking about the Jewish believers there in Antioch. Well, if Peter's doing this, we better follow his lead. And they did. <laughs> They separated themselves, and there became this division between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. In fact, it was so evident or so strong that Barnabas was even carried away. Barnabas even separated from the Gentiles. It says, Barnabas was also carried away with their dissimulation. He says, but when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel... 
I said unto Peter before them all. And here is Paul's response. He stands up and he calls out Peter in public in front of everyone there. And what does he say? He says, listen, he says, Peter, if you being a Jew livest after the manner of the Gentiles and not as do the Jews. <clears throat> when was he doing? He was doing this. This is his manner of life in Antioch prior to the Jews coming up from Jerusalem. He was living, though he was a Jew, he was living after the manner of the Gentiles and not as do the Jews. What did the Jews do? Again, talking about their traditions, they separated from Gentiles. They would not eat with them, not go into their homes to keep themselves clean. But it says, if you being a Jew livest after the manner of the Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why are you compelling, why are you compelling the Gentiles to live like the Jews? Now that is a double standard. That's what Paul was calling out. The issue here was fellowship. Again, we mentioned that last time. The issue is fellowship. Who was Paul fellowshipping with? He was deciding to fellowship with the Jews and stay away from the Gentiles. And in doing so, he was living <clears throat> a hypocrite. Hypocrisy, living a double standard. He'd been living as though he was free from the requirements of the Old Testament law. Paul was living this way. Of course, Paul was, Paul was called out for it. It may have been that Peter said, well, I know what Paul's going through in doing this, and I don't want to have to experience the same harassment from the Jews. I don't know. I can't say that that was definitely the case, but he definitely was um, living. He was, uh, Peter was doing this out of fear of the Jews. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul speaks of this in verses 20 and 21. In verse 19, coming into that passage, he says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. Now, some would say, well, just a minute. Paul, you're doing the same thing Peter's doing. Aren't you living a double standard there? But what is Paul saying? Paul says here, unto the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. When Paul was with the Jews, what did he do? Hey, he lived like they did. In fact, in, in the book of Acts, when he came into town the one time, they said, hey, you know, your reputation is that you're teaching people everywhere to not obey the law and to not do these things. He goes, why don't you, there, we have some men that are taking a vow. Why don't you take a vow with him, go into the temple and do the, 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 the thing that they do when they take their vows? And Paul did. He acquiesced. He said, sure. Shaved his head, took a vow, went to the temple. Why did he do that? Well, Paul did that not because it was required for his salvation, but that he might show that certainly he could live as do the Jews. It says here, to them that were under the law, I lived as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law, and to them that are without law, speaking of the Gentiles, as without law. 
He goes, but he was not being antinomian. He was not disregarding and throwing off all the law and saying no restraint. And that's what he mentions here when he says, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. Now, obviously, he's not talking about God's moral law, but he's talking about the ceremonial law, the Old Testament restrictions, which were really done away in Christ. But when he was with the Jews, he would observe their festivals, but not as though it regarded his salvation. It had no bearing on justification. He was living as they did to be a testimony to them, to win them. When he would eat with them, he would eat their kosher food. He wouldn't sit down at a, at a, at a Jewish um, dinner and say, well, you know, folks, really, we don't have to eat, we don't have to eat this stuff. Bring on the bacon. I mean, you know, we've been liberated from this. No, he didn't pressure them in that way. But when he sat down with the Gentiles to eat, he also didn't question them and say, well, now, listen, was this blood before you ate it, uh, before you cooked it? Was, it? was it blessed? Was it this? Was it that? Was it kosher? No. What did he do? He sat down and asked no questions for conscience sake, and he would eat with them. And why did he do this? What was his motivation? And when you come to the end of the discussion here, what was Peter's motivation? What was Paul's motivation? Peter was motivated out of fear. Paul was motivated out of love and a desire to see these people saved. Peter, on the one hand, was doing it, was actually acquiescing to those who were saying, if you do not obey the law, you cannot be saved. Paul was not doing that at all when he ministered to people in different areas and would submit himself to their traditions it had nothing to do with the gospel, but here Peter was acquiescing to the Jews who were making these requirements of the Gentiles, saying, you cannot be saved if you do not, what, keep the Old Testament law. And in fact, in particular, um, circumcision became really the, the touchstone issue here. Peter was compelling, it says here, he was compelling the Gentile believers you note there, back in Galatians chapter 2, at the end of verse 14, Paul asked Peter, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Why do you do this? Knowing what you know, why are you compelling the Gentiles to live the way, you, the way you're asking them to? What happened here? Well, the Gentiles were left with two options. There were only two options. Either conform to the Jewish dietary laws and anything else that these Judaizers might require. Again, what was their whole message? You've got to keep the law. Not just eating here. It comes to circumcision as we go through this book. But he, the Gentiles were, he was, a, he was separating from the Gentiles, not having fellowship with them, which was communicating to them, you have one of two options. You either acquiesce and submit yourselves to the Old Testament law to have fellowship with us, or you suffer a dividing line between those who call themselves the people of God. And what Peter was doing there was causing a false distinction and a division. By the way, 
in New Testament Scripture. A person who causes division like that is a heretic. Divisive teaching is called heresy. And remember that. It's very important to remember as we read through the Scriptures, especially the New Testament, a heretic is one who causes division in the body. Heresy is divisive teaching. A lot of times when we think of heresy, the first thing that comes to mind is heretics, and you think of people burning at the stake in the Spanish Inquisition, you know, the Catholic Church. Uh, they've departed from the faith, and now they're going to be burned. Um, an apostate is one who denies the faith and departs from the faith. A heretic is one who brings in divisive teaching. Now, you say, well, is, is that such a big deal? Well, there is quite a difference. There could be a believer who actually is um, promoting heresy. He might be doing it unwittingly. Um, he might be doing it you know, divisively. But he, might, he, he could still be a believer, yet have a divisive teaching, and he needs to be dealt with. You know, and heretic, after the first and second admonition, the Bible says reject. He needs to be admonished if he's a brother. On the other hand, what's an apostate? An apostate is one who is not a believer. He is antagonistic to the faith. He's departed from the faith. He is militating against it. So there is a difference, and I just want you to you know, be aware of that as you do read Scripture. This right here is divisive. This teaching, it was very divisive. <coughs> and the Gentiles, again, were left only these two options. You either acquiesce and submit to the law, as required for salvation, or there will be a division. And here, in doing so, what did Peter cause? Peter caused the truth of the gospel to be compromised. He caused the truth of the gospel to be compromised. And last week we talked about this, associations. Our associations can compromise the gospel. We need to be careful about our associations. And how did we describe that? There were two ways to describe that. There are two ways in which your associations can compromise the truth of the gospel. First, withholding fellowship from them to whom it is due. This is what was going on there at Antioch. Peter was withholding his fellowship from believing Gentiles. And by doing so, the gospel was compromised. He was, associate, he was disassociating from fellow believers, those who had been bought by the blood of Christ just as he had been. Remember, there's neither Jew nor Greek. Paul wasn't the only one that said that. Jesus talked about that in his high priestly prayer, John chapter 17, verse 21. He talks about us all being one in Christ, one in him. John chapter 17 Verse 21, Jesus is praying, and he prays that they all may be, well, he's in verse 20, neither pray I for these alone, referencing the, the disciples, that so he's praying for the disciples. He goes, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That would be any future believers. Verse Verse 21, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Based on the very words of Jesus in this verse, do you see how important this issue was? 
This is giving a false impression of the Godhead. Peter is giving a false impression of God. He is misrepresenting the gospel. The gospel is being compromised by his association. Jesus is praying and he says that they all may be one, not just the Jews, but the Jews and the Gentiles, all those who would believe the gospel. He's praying that they would all be one, just like thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. There's no division. There's no dividing line in the Godhead. There is mutual fellowship, perfect harmony in the Godhead. And what P- Peter is, is demonstrating to these Gentiles is that there's division in the body of Christ. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Not only was it a bad testimony in the church, it would be a bad testimony to the world around, to those watching Unbelievers, wow, there's division, there's conflict. What a bad testimony. So this is actually quite serious. And I hope that you realize that because Paul is standing up and he is actually making an issue. He is not making a mountain out of a molehill, folks. This is serious. And that's why Paul called out Peter. He didn't pull him aside privately. He said, I called you and I opposed Peter before them all in front of everyone because this must be dealt with. It was so important. The the truth of the gospel was being compromised. Of course, like I said, there's two ways that our associations can compromise the gospel. We can withhold fellowship and create false divisions that do not exist among believers. But secondly, we can extend fellowship to those who are not believers. We can extend fellowship to those and have communion with those who are not believers. Let me give you an example. There are churches out there, there are preachers who say they believe the Bible and they'll preach Jesus and they preach His teachings and it sounds good, but when you question them, it comes down to it, they deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Well, he was a good man, but no, he was not God. And they actually deny the deity of Jesus Christ. That person is not a believer. And if I extend fellowship to him, to that person, what am I saying? Well, when I extend fellowship to a person who denies the deity of Christ, or, another, or a believer who denies the blood atonement, denies really the cardinal doctrines of Scripture, when I extend fellowship to that person, I give the impression that non-negotiables are really negotiable. Well, you can think that, and I'll think this, and, you know, we can still have fellowship. Absolutely not. There are dividing lines. It's very important that we use discernment And here, we do not compromise the gospel. Our associations can compromise the gospel. Put it in a a simple way, who you eat with could compromise the gospel. This is what happens here at Antioch. What was Peter doing? He was denying fellowship. He was not eating with true believers with whom he he should have been having fellowship and had been. And what was he doing? He's extending fellowship to those who were preaching another gospel. 
which was not another, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 1. And in so doing, he was really giving the the impression that non-negotiables were negotiable. We Listen, we do not negotiate the deity of Christ. We do not negotiate the creation. We do not negotiate the inspiration of Scripture. We do not negotiate the virgin birth. Okay? These are non-negotiable. These are core doctrines. If you deny any of these, you're not a believer. What do we do? What do we do when other believers are doing these things? Well, what did Paul do? He confronts Peter. He confronted him. I want to take you to a, a few different passages here, and I want you to look at these and see what the Scripture has to say about our, our conduct in these situations. Turn over to Romans, Romans chapter 16. <clears throat> Last chapter, the book of Romans, Romans chapter 16. <clears throat> and note verses 17 and 18. Paul is giving some various instructions here in this last chapter, book of Romans. Verse 17, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them. Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Mark them or note them, point them out, and stay away from them. Mark them, which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. And then note, note verse 18. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. That is quite a statement. They are not serving the Lord Jesus Christ. But what are they serving? Their own belly. Their own fleshly appetites. In other words, they are not sincere. They have false motives. Write it down. They're not sincere. They have false motives. They are ruled by their appetites or their lusts. Now, this is, this is straightforward. This is, um, this is cut and dry. This is not, well, you know, let, live and let live, and we can agree to disagree. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We do not agree to disagree. We separate. Mark them and avoid them, for they are false. They are not. What are they not doing? They are not serving the Lord Jesus Christ. They are enemies of the gospel. Turn over to 2 John. 2 John, it's only one chapter. Almost right next to Revelation there. It's 3 John Jude, between that and Revelation, but the second book of John. John's second epistle in verse 9. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, 
He hath both the Father and the Son. Note that. Whosoever transgresseth, what does it mean to transgress? To go too far. To go beyond the boundary. To go beyond what Scripture says. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ. That's two things. That's the doctrine which Christ taught, and it's the doctrine that the Scriptures teach about Christ. But if one abides not in the doctrine of Christ, he is not a believer. He does not have God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Moving down to verse 10. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, how do we respond? It says right there, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. Folks, that's severe. That is not, that is, there's no gray area here. How do we respond to those who are bringing in false doctrine, who are not abiding in the doctrine of Christ? Are they believers? No, no they are not believers. These are unbelievers. And how are we to treat them? Well, we, we need to win them. No, you need to avoid them. They're not neutral. They're not seeking truth. They're like the devil seeking whom they may devour. They are trying to destroy the faith. They have not the Father. And if they come unto you and they don't bring the true doctrine, you're to mark them. You receive them not into your house. Do not invite them in. Neither bid him Godspeed. I remember my mother. In our neighborhood, occasionally, we'd have people from cults come and knock on our door. And we are like, we all, all kids, you know, we were little kids, we'd hide. You're like, oh, we knew who these people were. These are bad people. And my mother never invited them in. Well, come in, let's talk. They would want to come in. Hey, could we come into you and tell you about the, the uh, lost gospel? Or can we tell you about this or that or the other? My mother said, no. She goes, and I won't even bid you good day. Go on. And we, we kids would be like, whoa. Mom, she's harsh. Whoa, kind of put the fear in us. They're like, those people, well, how are we supposed to respond? Does the Bible say invite them into your house? No. They are not coming looking for truth. They are coming to try to fill your head with falsehood. They are trying to destroy the faith that you believe. Don't even invite them into your house. If you do, you say, well, they need to be evangelized. So you invite them into your house. Are you obeying Scripture? He that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. You're in disobedience, and you're treading in dangerous territory. 
If there come in, if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed, I'm saying good day. God bless you. No, God is not, you do not want God to bless them. Do not bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Those who deny the teaching of Christ, these are not believers. These who are coming and trying to teach progressive theology. And we are not to be complacent. We don't say, well, I, re-, you know, I respect them and you know, they can respect me and you know, they're, they're entitled to their opinion. No. No. Have no respect to their opinions. We do not agree to disagree. That is false teaching. It is damnable. And God says, do not invite them into your house and do not even bid them good day. And if you do, you are a partaker of their evil deeds. There was a, a poll given, I was hearing about this years ago, at a National Booksellers Convention. This poll was taken. And I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds, thousands of uh, evangelical book authors, sellers, and pastors at this convention. And so they, <clears throat> a poll was taken of a hundred of these people, authors, pastors, booksellers. And they asked them a series of questions. And these are the questions that they asked. And I'm going to ask them to you. I want you to answer them, not out loud. I want you to think. <clears throat> You talk about really the, the poor state of the mainline Christian denominations, mainline church, Christian church in the United States. First question. The real issue that God cares about is the direction of your heart, not the content of your theology. Do you agree or disagree with that statement? Again, here's the question, and you answer this in your own mind. Do you agree or disagree with this statement? The real issue that God cares about is the direction of your heart, not the content of your theology. Here's a second question. Even our good works are sinful and repugnant to God. Do you agree or disagree with that statement? Even our good works are sinful and repugnant to God. The third question. Salvation is for those who do absolutely nothing to help save themselves, but simply trust in a God who justifies wicked people. Do you agree or disagree with that statement? Again, it's salvation is for those who do absolutely nothing to help save themselves, but simply trust in a God who justifies wicked people. And fourth question here, we are saved by grace after all that we can do. Do you agree or disagree? We are saved by grace after all that we can do. Now, we go back and we have to tell you how these questions were answered. I hope you've decided in your mind if you agreed or disagreed. The first question, 
The real issue that God cares about is the direction of your heart, not the content of your theology. 75% or 75 out of 100 authors, pastors, booksellers agreed with that question. 75% dead wrong. The second question, even our good works are sinful and repugnant to God. Do you agree or disagree? 44% disagreed. 44% disagreed. That's nearly half. That is wrong. Dead wrong. The third statement, salvation is for those who do absolutely nothing to help save themselves, but simply trust in a God who justifies wicked people. A full 44% disagreed with that statement. Folks, that's Romans 4. God justifies the ungodly, not by works. But 44% disagreed with that statement. Fourth statement here, we are saved by grace after all that we can do. 42% agreed with that statement. Does anybody know who made that statement? Joseph Smith, founder of the Mormon Church. And 42% of those who claim to be evangelical Christian pastors, authors, and booksellers agreed with that statement. Folks, these are the people that are writing the books in the Christian bookstores. These are mainline evangelical preachers. You better know what the Scripture says. If any man comes with the wrong doctrine, whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. If you turn to one more passage, 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15. Paul is speaking to the brethren. He says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Hold fast to that which we have taught you. Don't let it go. And then turn over to chapter 3, the next chapter. Verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. I want you to note something here. Is he speaking about unbelievers or believers? Look at this verse. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every, and what's the next word? Brother. 
withdraw from brothers, brethren, those who actually are true believers. You are to withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. This is an example of separating from a brother who does not follow the teaching of Scripture. Now note, he goes on to explain here. He says, For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought or worked with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Now, here's an example. Paul gives an example of those who were not following the teaching or the tradition that they had received. An example of someone who would not work for a living or one who does not obey the Scripture. And what does he say? Separate from them. Verses 14 and 15. Well, I could, I'll read verse 13. So you don't think I'm skipping anything. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy but admonish him as a brother. In this passage here, <clears throat> Paul is speaking about <clears throat> a brother, someone who is saved, but they're walking disorderly. They're not walking after the teaching which they have received of the apostles. And he gives an example. because this is what we hear among you, that there are some who won't even work. They won't even hold a job. They're just you know, looking for a free ride. And look at our example. We worked and travailed among you so that we'd not be chargeable to you. Not that we shouldn't have, not that we shouldn't have taken a salary. Those that minister the gospel also live of the gospel. He goes, but as an example to you, we worked with our own hands. So that you would follow our example. And so how are they to deal with this? If a man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man. This was actually you know, a discipline. Break fellowship with him. It was punitive. Have no fellowship. Have no company with him. Why? That he might be ashamed. That he would be brought to a point where he recognized he is wrong. It said, yet not, count him not as an enemy, but admonish him, reprove him, admonish him, urge him to do that which is right. This is what Paul was doing with Peter. Peter's, Paul is admonishing him right there. Peter's a brother. They believe the same thing, yet here is Peter playing the hypocrite, and what does Paul do? He admonishes him right there publicly. Now, 
What I find interesting, <clears throat> again, we're talking about our associations. Our associations can actually compromise the gospel. And here are three passages. Again, there's Romans 16, 2 John 9-11, through 11, and here, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And each of these passages deal with how we are to respond to those who are either trying to bring in false doctrine or not teaching the doctrine of Christ, denying the doctrine of Christ as unbelievers, or how we deal with those who are walking disorderly as brothers in Christ. And how we are to respond to this. And sadly, today, in evangelical circles, when it comes to the matter of associations and separation, uh, those are, it's not important. We should, you know, make a mountain out of a molehill. You know, we're, we're, we're all in Christ, and so therefore we should all be having fellowship, and so we're going to let these things slide. No, these are important. These are so important that Paul says, these are things that we break fellowship over. Now, mainstream evangelicals, I mean, heard that there are those who said, oh, well, this passage in, in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 is only dealing with those who, who, who won't work. It has nothing else. It's only dealing with that particular aspect. So as long as a person is working and their brother, then everything else is okay. Well, that's, Paul is using that as an illustration. And he says that if they're not following what we have taught you, and if it, even as, as, as something like this, what about breaking fellowship over the more important things? Okay. But yeah, there are those who say, oh, well, it only deals with a person who's not working. That's not Paul's point. Paul says, I'll give you an instance, and this is what we hear is going on. Here's how you deal with it. But here, Peter, back in Galatians, back to Galatians chapter 2, Paul opposes Peter, confronts him publicly, because Peter is not walking according to the truth of the gospel. What is being compromised here? is the truth of the gospel. Folks, we do not give an inch. We do not give an inch when it comes to the truth of the gospel. We cannot budge. We need to stand. We need to stand for that which is right. He goes on in chapter 2 goes on here and says, we who are Jews, verse 15, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified." Note here in verses 15, 16, and 17, in those three verses, Paul uses the plural pronoun we. We. Now, the immediate context, he's probably referring to Peter and himself. But by extension, we who are true believers in Christ, these are the things which we agree on. These are the things which we believe. And what is he saying? Listen, we know what justification is. 
And he talks about justification, mentions it three times in verse 16. A man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. What is he confronting here? Exactly what the Judaizers were bringing in. Except ye be circumcised, ye cannot be saved. Except ye keep the law of Moses, you can't be saved. That's the issue. This is false teaching. And Paul says to Peter and all these believers who were there, he says, we, we know the truth. We know that justification is apart from the works of the law. We know that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. And he hammers here this issue of justification apart from the works of the law. Because what is being compromised? The truth of the gospel when it comes to justification. Are we justified by keeping the law? Or are we justified by faith in Christ? The Judaizers are saying it's Christ plus keeping the Mosaic law if you're truly going to be saved. You've got to be circumcised. You're going to have to follow these dietary rules. Peter, by his association with them, was compelling the Gentiles and putting them in a dilemma. You either realize and accept the fact that there's more to the gospel or that there's a dividing line among believers. I guess that's called being on the horns of a dilemma. Either way you turn, you're pierced. But here Paul goes back and he talks about justification for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And then he comes in verse 17 and he says this, But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. If what these Judaizers were saying was true, then what the way Paul and Peter were living before they came was sinful because they were associating with the Gentiles. And they were claiming to be justified by faith. They were claiming that there was no division. So if what the Judaizers were saying was true, then Paul and Peter were wrong. And they were actually sinning by fellowshipping with the Gentiles. Or, if, the, if what the Judaizers were saying was true, then Jesus was wrong. What did Jesus teach? We, just what we talked about in John chapter 17, that we're all one in Christ. And so it's significant. Here's how the gospel is being compromised. The truth of the gospel was compromised by Peter's behavior. If while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. If the Judaizers were, were right and the, the dietary you know, restrictions of their, of their interpretation of the law are correct, then, then what Jesus said is wrong. Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. Jesus revealed to Peter that, he says, what God hath called clean, what God hath cleansed, call not thou unclean. 
He made it clear to Peter that God had accepted the Gentiles and that they were receiving the gospel just as did the Jews, and there was no division. Jesus prayed in his priestly prayer in John chapter 17, Lord, they may all be one in us as I am in thee and you are in me, that the world may know that we are one. But if what was going on was correct, then Christ would be made the minister of sin. Wow. Listen, Paul puts it in black and white. There is no gray area here. There's nothing shady here. There's no question. He is drawing and dividing and saying, listen, here's the truth. And if this isn't true, then Christ is a liar. He's the minister of sin. God forbid, may it never be. Verse 18, for if I build again the things which I destroyed, I condemn myself. He says, or I make myself a transgressor. He goes, we've been preaching justification by faith. And if I'm going back to justification by the law, this is what we've been preaching against. If I go back to the law, if I go back to that kind of teaching, what am I doing? I'm condemning myself. I make myself a transgressor. This is hypocrisy. goes on, for I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. And then we finish up the chapter here, and I'm not going to go any further today. But I want you to see something. I want you to see today, really, the importance of the truth and how that our associations are so important. Our associations can send wrong messages. Our associations can send messages that compromise the truth of the gospel. And folks, it is important. This issue of separation is absolutely a biblical doctrine. It is important, no matter what another Christian might tell you. The scripture makes it clear. And it is important who we associate with because it sends a message. Are we withholding fellowship with those to whom it is due? Or are we extending fellowship to those who should not be fellowshiped with? Because when we do extend fellowship to those who aren't believers or those who are walking disorderly, what are we saying? We're saying, well, those things really aren't important. Our fellowship is more important than truth. You cannot have love at the expense of truth. We speak the truth in love. You can speak the truth without love, and that's not right. But you cannot have love without truth. If truth is gone, it's not love. Okay? Hold the truth. Hold fast to the truth. We will separate over truth, if need be. Now, we hope to, we are endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And as much as lieth in us, as much as we can, what do we do? Live peaceably with all men. But that doesn't mean we compromise the truth. Truth is non-negotiable. And so let us hold fast to the truth. And listen... If Peter 
If Peter could struggle with this, every one of us could too. So may we seek wisdom. May we be in the word. Be led by the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the passage here before us and for the, Lord, the power with which it is presented. And Lord, the the unwavering position that Paul took. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, may we receive instruction from this situation as it is presented here in the book of Galatians. And Lord, may we hold fast to the truth. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.